0: on the threshold of this holiday week uh, it seems some of us are so eager to have something to celebrate, some reason to feel up and others of us probably are dreading this uh, unusual holiday season knowing that it won't be typical. This particular Sunday is uh, a religious holiday you might say uh, in In our church and in many churches, this Sunday has been designated as the last Sunday of the church calendar. So we begin a new year next Sunday with Advent. And this last Sunday has been uh, designated as a Sunday uh, to celebrate the reigning of Christ. It may be called in some places uh, Christ the King Sunday. Now I know that That image carries a lot of baggage and and some people don't want to use it, but I think it is a useful reminder for us uh, to uh, think about the fact that our lives and really all of human history have a direction, have a purpose. Our story is bound up in the great story of God's love. And so uh, the one who is the author and completer of life embraces us. And even in the midst of this crazy 2020, when so much has been disconnected and disoriented and even lost, we claim the Christ who died and was raised and is now reigning. God has the whole world in his hands we sing, and so this is a Sunday to affirm that and to think about what that could mean. The two texts for this Sunday come from the New Testament, and the first is from uh, Paul's letter to the uh, church in Ephesus. Let us listen for God's word. That's why when I heard of the solid trust that you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love for all Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. I think of you as I ask the God of our Master, Lord Jesus Christ, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing God personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is that God is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that God has for us and the utter extravagance of God's work in us who trust Him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. Christ raised Jesus from the death and set him on the throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from Christ's rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. Christ is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything, At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. And the second reading is from Matthew 25 to which Brianna alluded, a familiar text and I think Uh, One that is worth reading in its entirety because of its complexity, its its balance, and uh, its importance for us today. So let us listen to this uh, uh, important passage in Matthew. When the Son of Man finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all the angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne, Then all the nations will be arraigned before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed of my father. Take what is coming to you from this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we ever visit you when you were sick, or give you clothes? When did we see you in prison? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these, the least of my brothers, you have done for me. And then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you didn't look after me. And then... They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite us, whether you are at home or here, to gather now in a moment of prayer using an old Celtic prayer. Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beneath us, Christ beside us. Christ within us. May it be so. Amen. Well, I hope after hearing those scripture lessons that you are not a person that thinks that the Bible should always be immediately clear and understandable. Uh, I hope you're not one who gets discouraged or gives up if the meaning is ambiguous or troublesome or non-literal. We tend to be impatient seekers of the truth, and we are living in an environment where we're not even sure if truth exists. But we need to uh, have our eyes wide open as we Listen to this word of God that comes to us. There are a few particular things that maybe are uh, not there uh, on the surface that I'd like to point out. The first is that the, the, this is a parable of Jesus, it's one of a series of parables that Jesus teaches at the end of Matthew. And uh, it starts with this figure of the Son of Man. We hear Jesus throughout. Uh, Matthew saying, I am the Son of Man. And that is sort of this mysterious figure from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel, this figure who will come and rule and judge all of the people of, of the world. And then partway through the parable, the Son of Man becomes a king. And we don't know why the change from Son of Man to king, but, but it's there. Uh, and, of course, these are images of, of that time and of the Old Testament. We, we tell our confirmation class uh, that it's really difficult to understand the New Testament Jesus if you have no understanding of the Old Testament because so much of the imagery and language that the early church used came from their background in what we call the Old Testament. So there is that, that lead figure in the parable, but then there is also this phrase, all the nations, all the nations are gathered. And maybe we just think that means everybody. That's all the nation, everybody. But the, the Greek word there really is the word that is used for non-Jews or for Gentiles. So maybe it just means all the non-Jewish world is being gathered together for a judgment. And then there is this third theory that maybe it means all non-Christians. Maybe this is the scene of judgment for people uh, that are not Christian. And then there is this other phrase where uh, the, the king says, uh, I, uh, what you did to the To the least of these, my brothers. Who are the least of these? Again, uh, some scholars say that this really is talking about Christian missionaries, that the poor Christian missionaries that would travel around, and this is a parable about how we should greet them and treat them and take care of them when they're in our midst. Others think that maybe this, the least of these is referring to poor Christians in general because most Christians were quite poor at that time. And then others think, well, it just means all people who are least, in least in any way, just the people at the bottom, everybody. So which is it? So you see there are these interpretive decisions that have to be made and these, uh, some of these decisions get really complicated and, and uh, I think it always helps to step back and just maybe take a look at our context for just a minute. You know, Matthew was a gospel written to Jewish Christians, mainly living in what we would now call Syria. And Matthew's gospel shows Jesus as the authoritative new interpreter of the Torah. The new and improved Moses, you might say. And in his view, it's not so much the religious rituals that we follow or the professions of faith that we speak, believing the right things or doing the right religious stuff that gives us God's approval. It is rather our relationships, our deeds that matter to God. And so right from the beginning in the first great teaching in Matthew, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kicks it off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek and the merciful and the, those who mourn and those who are hungry and are pure in heart and are persecuted. He is painting a picture of the reigning of Christ that is countercultural and it's, it's this image of the people that we might say are the least of these. And they are blessed, Jesus says. And now, in Matthew 25, he kind of circles back at the end of the gospel. He's drawing his teaching back to this core idea. And the setting for this is that Jesus has gathered on the Mount of Olives. It's a, it's a hill on the east side of Jerusalem... He's gathered there with his disciples, and they remark about the wonders of the temple, and Jesus says, well, you know, the temple's not here for long. It's going to be destroyed soon. And they get all anxious about when is this going to happen, and what's going to happen in the future, and how will we know how to prepare? It's it's very much how life has felt for us for these many months when our future seems so uncertain and unpredictable they're wanting answers, and Jesus gives them a variety of answers. At one point he says nobody really knows. At another point he, he uh, tells uh, these parables. And here in this last parable, uh, a parable of judgment. And by judgment, really, we mean revealing. This is apocalyptic literature, Apocalypse means revealing, opening. And so this is a story of clarification, of unmasking the truth, of bringing the real into light, of revealing the truth about our relationships. It reminds me of some of the TV shows that that we like to watch, like Law and Order or Father Brown or... Some of those shows where it's, you know, it's a detective show and all through you're looking for clues and you're guessing who done it and what really happened and finally in the last five minutes it all gets explained. Right? And, and you know it all comes together and everything. Now it all makes sense. And that's, that's kind of what judgment is in this scene. And so in a way... Judgment is a welcome part of the good news. I know we tend to think of it very negatively, but I'm asking you to to think about the word judgment in a positive way. It is an unmasking and a revealing of what is real. And it is uh, an opportunity to witness the wholeness of God coming into the world let justice roll down like an ever-flowing stream let accommodations now be made for past wrongs let those who have uh, grievances be heard let there be a truth and reconciliation dialogue let confession and con- and forgiveness Wipe the slate clean now and every day. Let the poor and the meek and the mourning and the merciful and the persecuted, let them be blessed now. That's, that's what we hope for in God's judgment. But we've got this sort of troubling part of this story. that's the sheep and the goats part. And it's inevitable that we ask ourselves where we are in that. Are you a sheep or a goat? Are you sitting next to a sheep or a goat? Don't answer that one. Um, You know, have we done enough? And who can say they've done enough? I mean, how, how much do you have to give? Every time you see a homeless person, do you have to pull out your wallet and give them some money? Is that even beneficial? Um, Is it enough to just go to the caring tree and get maybe an extra star? Or maybe give an extra donation to desk? I mean, maybe we need to go down the checklist. Let's see, um, I've donated food to the RPDS food drive. Um, let's see I've donated clothing to desk I'll check that one off um, let's see I uh, let's see. I haven't been able to visit anyone lately in the hospital um, hmm let's see I sure know I haven't visited a prison lately um, but maybe you know maybe God grades on a curve maybe like 60 percent is good enough and maybe I'll just be sort of sheepish I don't know uh, you know, and so we get into all these questions about, well, you certainly, God, you don't expect me to give money every darn time some panhandler asks for it. That can't be the, what this is saying to me. So, what do I really owe the least? These are all goat questions, I must say. These are goat questions. Uh, it's, it's sort of like what is, if you've ever heard of that book, Toxic Charity, it's, it's the idea of almost using people in our charity. Uh, using them to uh, sort of bring merit to ourselves. Somehow I think this parable, this non-literal, did you hear me say non-literal parable is trying to open a window for us to understand that how we live every day reveals reveals uh, apocalyptically who we are and how we understand life so it's okay to say that Jesus is present in every single person whose path crosses ours, and particularly in the least and the lost. But having said that, now what? We're asked to wrestle with the fact that Jesus is present in this world in surprising ways. The sheep and the goats were shocked to hear that Jesus, or the king, was with those least so the sheep were never they were never doing their visitation or their sharing in order to in order to do something for the king they never thought of that nor were the goats ignoring the king in not giving they i mean they never thought of that that wasn't a part of their motivation it was simply the way the different way that sheep and goats looked at the world in their daily lives. So as we wrestle with this parable, maybe it challenges us, maybe it unsettles us, maybe it comforts us. I mean, Jesus is so present with us that we have unlimited opportunities to serve him and to meet him. And in some ways that maybe we'll never really understand, almost everything we do and every person we meet has something to do with Christ. One thing is for sure, you, you can't go through life trying to follow Christ by checking off, you know, one hungry person and one. Thirsty person, one sick person, you know, sort of, you know, dropping a quarter in somebody's cup and saying, I've done my deal. Charity is no substitute for kinship. We're not called to be philanthropists or social workers, but brothers and sisters. We're called into relationship even when that relationship could be costly or sad or risky or complicated. We're called to see each other and see Christ in our midst. That's why the session of this church recently voted... To become what we we, in our denomination we call a Matthew 25 church. Our denomination has started something called the Matthew 25 Initiative. And the goals of this, broadly speaking, are to build congregational vitality by challenging congregations and our members to deepen and energize our faith and grow joyfully as leaders and disciples. That's one. The second goal to dismantle structural racism by fearlessly applying our faith to break down systems and practices and thinking that underlie discrimination. And third, to eradicate systemic poverty by acting on our beliefs working to change laws and policies and structures in society. You see, the reign of Christ involves all of this. The reigning of Christ is not some ideal beyond our reach or something that we wait for someday in the future. Sheep and goats hear the shepherd's voice and see his face every single day. Amen.